Welcome to Hope for the Caregiver here on American Family Radio. I am Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver. More than 65 million Americans right now are doing this. And millions upon millions more around the world are serving as a family caregiver. What do you do to help the family caregiver? What does that look like? How do you strengthen somebody who is taking care of somebody with chronic impairments? And that's what this program is all about. And we're glad to have you with us. If you want to be a part of the program, hopeforthecaregiver.com, hopeforthecaregiver.com. There's a little form on the front page. Fill it out and send me a comment. Tell me your story. Whatever you want to talk about, send it to me. I'll try to respond as fast as possible and maybe even have you on the program. How's that? All right, hopeforthecaregiver.com. Before the famous altercation with Goliath, and we all know the story of David and Goliath. It's in our collective social awareness and, and conscious. I mean, you know, it's it's part of every pop culture. I mean, everybody knows David and Goliath. It's one of the most famous stories in the Bible. But let me let me approach this from a little different standpoint today as caregivers. David got there. He was taking some stuff to his brothers who were there. And he got there and he was angry at all the blasphemy that was coming out of, of of Goliath. And it seemed like the army of Israel was just sitting there just kind of listening to it. They were all kind of camped out. They'd been there for some time. And David you know, mouthed off about it. He said, hey, you know, who is this guy doing this stuff? And, and his brother, his older brother, got very angry with him. And if you read the chapter or so before, you find out it's the oldest brother who... Samuel the prophet first saw when he went to Jesse's family to anoint a new king of Israel. You remember the story that, that God had become displeased with King Saul, and he sent Samuel on this mission to Jesse's family. Jesse came from the tribe of Judah. Saul came from the tribe of Benjamin. And Jesse had these sons, and the first one he saw was Eliab, who's a big strapping fellow, good-looking guy. And Samuel said, hey, I think that's the guy. And the Lord told Samuel, no, you're looking at the outside. So we'd already gotten that place with Saul. Saul was a big old tall fellow. He said he was head and shoulders above everyone else. And, you know, he looked kingly. And God was looking for something different. And so Eliab, when he heard David, he, David's the, the, the runt of the litter. He was the youngest of the, the family. And I don't think he was a really a big guy either. And Eliab just was like, you know, Here's his big brother talking to a little brother. And how many of you all have a big brother? And you know what that's like. And so Eliab was not happy that David comes up there to his little kid and starts mouthing off. But Saul heard about it. And Saul brought David to him. And David said he wanted to fight Goliath. And crazily enough, Saul agreed to let him do it. You know, I thought that was kind of odd, but okay. And so they put his tunic and, and armor on him. And we're going to send him out to battle this kid. I mean, it's a crazy story if you think about it. And and, and David puts this stuff on. And you remember Saul was a tall man, but David wasn't. So David's wearing this armor that didn't fit. And he couldn't move around. And he was struggling to, to function in this stuff. And, and he couldn't do it. And David took it off and said, you know, he's going to fight Goliath his own way. He's going to depend on God's might. And and David recognized that he couldn't do this and succeed while wearing something that didn't fit him. 
Well, now, let me ask you as a caregiver, how many of us try to fight Goliath while wearing something that doesn't fit? The conditions of our loved ones as caregivers seem rather formidable giants to us, don't you think? And we can't fight them while trying to be, do, and and act like something that doesn't fit us. Now, I've been guilty of this many times, and I've tried to wear things that, that weren't mine, to, to get in there and mix it up with doctors and, and medical providers and so forth. And I, I, would, I would learn the vocabulary, but I really didn't understand what I was talking about. And I needed to keep my mouth shut and realize that this was not my particular battle to fight. I didn't need to go in there dressed in something that didn't fit. Or if I was going to fight it, I wasn't going to fight it in a conventional thing. See, Saul was putting conventional armor on David in an unconventional fight. And how many of us wear conventional armor thinking that this is the way we got to do it, but we're in an unconventional fight? Now, David faced Goliath with his sling. If you'll notice, he didn't even take a sword into battle. He ended up killing Goliath with his own sword. He knocked him out with his sling and his rock. And then he killed him with his own sword. And so he went out there trusting in God's abilities, not him. And David wasn't a trained soldier. But his love and his trust in God provided the courage to face a giant. You and I aren't trained medical professionals, most of us. We're not trained mental health experts or any of these things, for the most part, by and large. But we don't have to be. Okay? That's the good news. We don't have to be. I don't have to be a brain surgeon, okay? When facing our giants, we can just be ourselves and with love and trust remain confident that the battle belongs to the Lord. And I got a a buddy of mine. He's since passed away. He was a great friend. And I remember he became the, the director of a billion-dollar project um, with the state of Tennessee. It was, a, it was a huge promotion for him. And he called me up and he said, man, I feel, I feel a bit overwhelmed. And, uh, and, he, and he, was, he was well qualified for the job in the sense that he had been in that program for a long time. He understood it, but he, you know, taking the helm of this was a big deal. And I reminded him of the old days, years and years ago, he used to run a pizza shop. And uh, I asked him, I said, did you know how to build a pizza oven? He said, well, no. And I said, you know, you don't have to know how to build a pizza oven to run a pizza shop. And he stopped for a moment and and he he got the point that he did not have to know how to do everything and have all this and that going and everything else. Sometimes he could just step into that place and know who to call on to get things done, who to delegate. That's what leaders do. They know who to, to assemble for their team and who to call on. David was not a trained warrior. He ended up becoming a great warrior. But at the time, he was just a kid. He had fought off Lion, I mean, mountain lions and, and wolves and bears or whatever, and, you know, as he guarded his family's sheep, he had fought off predators. But who did he know to call on? 
It's a good question, isn't it? And of course, he called on the Lord. He was convinced of this. So I ask you, we don't have to know everything. Who do you call on? We don't have to know how to set a bone. We don't know. We don't have to know how to operate or, or to do this. We don't have to have a degree in pharmacology. We, we, we know who to call on. And most importantly, we know that we call upon the Lord. And that's our journey as caregivers, is that we don't have to go into these battles with real giants wearing something that doesn't fit us, trying to be something that we're not. And the scripture, 1 Samuel 17, 47, listen to this. And all this, this is what David said, all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's. Now doesn't that seem like it applies to us as, as caregivers? Wouldn't you say that that's a good thing to keep in our mind as we face the real giants that we face every day as caregivers? The battle is the Lord's. Hmm. Something to think about as we go into battle every day. Because it feels like that for us, doesn't it? And whether you're dealing with the enormous giant of Alzheimer's, or autism, or addiction, whatever else you're dealing with, the battle is the Lord's. This is Hope for the Caregiver, hopeforthecaregiver.com. This is Peter Rosenberger. We'll be right back. This is Bible League International. Thank God your pastor wasn't attacked on Sunday, but it happened to Pastor Nepo recently while preaching in Burundi, Africa. 20 radicals dragged him down the aisle to the front lawn where they beat him nearly to death because he's been faithfully sharing the gospel with Muslims and nearly 200 have come to Christ in his village where Christians are attacked daily. Anyone who comes to Jesus as their Lord and Savior are easily persecuted. In coastal India, Jay Anth planted a church in a village with no Christians and today more than half of that village follows Christ, but it did not come easy. His house was burned down twice, his wife was assaulted, and many in the church have been threatened with death, but they're not praying for an end to their suffering. They're praying for Bibles to endure and persevere. We're halfway to our goal to send God's Word to 16,000 Bibleist persecuted believers, and we need to wrap up in a week. So at $5 a Bible, $100 sends 20. Will you call 800-YES-WORD? 800-YES-WORD or give at sendbiblesnow.org. Sendbiblesnow.org. And God bless you for caring. Most parents are devastated when they learn that their teen's been drinking alcohol, experimenting with sex, or participating in some other destructive behavior. But how you react in that moment has the power to define your relationship in the years to come. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Anytime a child's misbehavior is exposed, their greatest fear is that they will no longer be loved. So if you catch your teen red-handed, don't withdraw your affection. Instead, slip a note under her door or send her a text that says, we love you just as much today as the day you arrived in our family. Because what she needs right now more than anything else are words and actions that affirm your relationship. She needs your unconditional love. Want more help from Mark Gregston? Find books and other resources online at parentingtodaysteens.org.
Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a caregiver. Now, I often say there are 65 million Americans serving right now as caregivers because this program is mostly heard in the United States. But there is one place that listens to this that I wanted to introduce you all to today, and that is in the kingdom of Tonga, all the way across the entire globe. And my friend, Lynn Vanderwood Aho, she is a missionary over there with her husband, Ali, and they've been over there for many years. Lynn is originally from the Nashville, Tennessee area where we knew each other and I'm very close with her folks and her whole family. She's joining me all the way from the kingdom of Tonga, where she says she listens to my program, but she's also incorporated a lot of things we talk about this program in the community that she serves as a missionary. The connection yeah. is a little bit weird at times. So you all be family as you listen, but I'm actually doing this all the way literally across the globe. So I think it's amazing that we're doing it all. But Lynn, welcome to the program. Thanks, Peter. I'm so delighted to, to join you all across the airwaves. It sure uh, saves my arms from flapping to fly there. So I'm really excited for this opportunity today. <laughs> You have, you've got a beautiful backdrop of palm trees. Now, I live in Montana now, and you're in Tonga, and we don't have palm trees in Montana. That's just the way it is. I don't think we had many in Nashville, but it's, uh, it's beautiful where you are. Tell us a little bit about Tonga, that things that Americans may not know and, and people around the world may not know. You just had a visit from the Deputy Secretary of State of the United States but you've also had some very big challenges this year with the tsunami, with the volcano and all kinds of things. So bring us up to speed on a lot of things going on in Tonga and things that maybe we don't know. Sure. Thanks, Peter. This um, archipelago of 72 islands, 36 to 40 or so are, are occupied. We think maybe a few more have a few goats on them, but we uh, have more water than land in our nation. And we have 100,000 people or so that live here in Tonga, and about that many in the Tongan diaspora in New Zealand, Australia, America. And as you said, in January, we started a new year with a big bang, literally on the 15th, <laughs> our uh, Hunga Hapai, Hunga Tonga volcano erupted. Now, we have been watching this for greater than six to eight weeks, these amazing plumes of smoke in the sky. And in fact, one morning I woke up and I saw lightning in the sky and I thought maybe it was the day Jesus was coming back. I mean, literally, I didn't know what I was looking at outside. So we uh, had the volcano and then everything was covered with ash. And you can imagine elderly people were covered with ash. My in-laws, did not close their windows. They wanted the air to come through. They live alone. My nephew went to go stay with him. They refused to let him close the windows and their bed was covered with ash. So from a caregiver standpoint, wow, that was tough. And then two weeks later, uh, Tonga, which has been COVID free, had our first COVID cases that entered through our port, through the uh, a boat of some sort of ship. So we've had a lot of challenges since then. Uh, they managed it with a lockdown, but thankfully in the first two weeks, we had a chance to get some of the ash cleaned up and try to go into survival mode to get everything organized. And then over the last six months, um, we've noticed that 
ourselves as well as others are just starting to debrief what went on. Mm. Now, Ali and I went, uh, well, one of our Youth with a Mission volunteers went with the boat that rescued people from Mango Island. These people spent the night, well, the volcano caused a tsunami. So there's a tsunami that washed literally everything off their island. And there were a few plastic tarps that were given to them after Cyclone Gita two years ago. The men gathered the women and children who laid under the tarps while the men sat on the tarps to hold them down. And the whole community of 14 family spent the night singing to God, reciting mm. Psalm 23 because everybody knew it and realizing God really was their shepherd. So what we, we had a guy go up and rescue those people with the government boat. And then four days after they came to our larger island, Ali and I in a group had a chance to go meet them, sit and listen to their stories. One of the ladies is 75 years old and children and teens and 30 to 40 year old men and women. And they said this, you know, we have read in the book, the Bible of God, but now we have experienced his protection. So that's the attitude of most people in Tonga who have survived. You know, there were only three people died in the tsunami volcano. Uh, two of them were very elderly people uh, that couldn't get rescued out of their homes. And one was a British woman who went back to save her dog and both of them were washed out to sea. So we have enjoyed interacting with the people who were hit the most. Now we had great damage here. Uh, nothing was washed away because we're, we're inland, but we had incredible damage from the volcanic ash. Our solar system was kind of messed up from all the ash, but we, we put that aside, cleaned up my in-laws house, <laughs> and then started visiting the people who were hit the worst. And the stories we've heard are both heartwarming and heart-wrenching, but the resilience of the people is great. However, uh, in the last two months or so, we've noticed people, as I said, beginning to let down all the initial excitement of look at how God saved us to now processing through some of their feelings. And so uh, Ali has been the last 11 days in one of the other outer islands, Nomuka, and Fonoi that was also hit, houses washed away, people living in tents and houses made out of what you see behind me uh, and helping them just to process where are they, what's going on, how can they move forward emotionally and uh, physically. So what a privilege we've been given, kind of change gears a little bit from our usual ministry here, but wow. It's, it's just what God put in our hands, and we're delighted to do it. It's hard to wrap your mind around that with, with volcanoes, tsunamis, and, and everything else. Your community there is very agriculturally based, correct? And, and dependent upon the sea for fish and so forth. I mean, there's not a lot of beef cattle and things such as that in Tonga. So... How was the food situation and, and how is it now with, with plants and crops and so forth? Yeah. Um, 
my husband um, and youth with the mission here has a great big root crop um, plantation and some of the more delicate root crops initially looked good but the the acids in the ash destroyed them and that was common throughout tonga so there was only one root crop that really survived we were surprised that animals like chickens and pigs survived as well as they did. But if you don't keep those animals, um, you didn't have meat. So initially what happened was any stores on our large island that still had, had goods were just opened on a Sunday, which never happens. The volcano was on Saturday and our, we have a, everything is closed for the Sabbath. So everything was opened on Sunday and there were some limits of whatever stock was still in the shelves people could buy and take home. So Ali actually went out and stocked up for us. Um, but we at Youth with the Mission Tonga were a little hesitant. We do have some cows, but that's rare in Tonga. We were hesitant because we didn't know how they would be affected. So we managed on our one root crop, cassava, and none of our leafy greens, our vegetables survived. So it was pretty lean going there. We had some mm. canned fish. And again, the fish in the ocean were just obliterated. And that's what the people from the outer islands are just now beginning to be able to fish again if they have fishing equipment. Because most of them, they lost all of that. Um, they lost their boats. So now we are eight months or seven months from it and we're just beginning to see some fishing going on we've put some more root crops and now vegetables in the garden and that is that is happening throughout tonga now in the last two months people are planting vegetables and we're so grateful but there had been an influx of canned goods from overseas uh in march that came from Australia, New Zealand, and some people's families sent drums of canned goods. But you know, you can only eat so much uh, canned corn and canned fish and sardines. It, it, was, it was definitely a crisis, definitely. So when we felt it was safe to butcher a cow, we butchered one of our cows and we shared it with our neighbors. And that was a, a great way to get into their homes and say, hey, how are you doing? And of course, the initial response is all oh, they're fine, but it gave us a chance to really just sit and listen and let people let their stories out because that's what they need. They needed to talk. And, you know, elderly people are like that, too, in caregiving. They just need an audience. And we were so delighted to do that. We've been watching all this, of course, from a distance, and it's it's hard to imagine. We're going to take a break in a minute. Before we go to break, in just one minute. Is there a point where you can till the volcanic ash back into the soil and it'll be, what, what, is that how that works? How, do, how does that do that? How, do, how does that happen? Yeah. If you have the plowing equipment, you can do that. And uh, we tried to do that on our farm. It's just so much and it was so deep that it was difficult to do. But many communities collected it in bags. And about two months ago, began using it in their fields before they plowed, uh, spreading it, then plowing, and are now planting. So we'll see how this next crop comes. Well, is it expected to be a good crop because of that? Yes, or it do is. They know? And, and many people, 
um, our geology, our geology department are amazing. I am just always awed by these guys. They were out here the day after to help me check our water supply. But the geology department has uh, analyzed actually the composition of the volcanic ash. And it's very rich in things that we really want in our soil, nitrogens particularly. And very low in sulfuric acid, which is amazing. That is indeed. So it's the perfect one for us. Well, we're going to talk a little bit more about some things that you guys are doing when we come back from the break. We're talking with Lynn Vanderwood Aho. She is in the Kingdom of Tonga. She's a missionary there. She and her husband, Ali, and have an extraordinary work. This is Peter Rosenberg. This is Hope for the Caregiver. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Pastor Robert Morris. I'm often asked, how do I grow in my relationship with the Lord? How do I hear God? What is God's plan and purpose for me? I want to personally invite you to join me on Sunday mornings right here on AFR for worship and the Word, and we will discover the answer to these questions together. We'll explore the truths found in God's Word that will help you strengthen your faith and develop a more intimate relationship with Him. I love the cooperation between the gifts that these men have. Ezra was a scribe. He knew the law. He knew what to say. Nehemiah was a leader, and God did a great work. Nehemiah had a vision. He prayed about it. He exerted leadership and motivated people. And then when the going got tough, he kept on going. Bert Harper and Alex McFarland, advancing through the scriptures weekday afternoons at 3 Central on American Family Radio's Exploring the Word. Back to Genesis with Dr. John Morris, geologist and president of the Institute for Creation Research. Dr. Morris, what formed Utah's Great Salt Lake? Chris, the Great Salt Lake is much more salty than seawater because it has water coming in but no rivers leaving the lake. Whatever dissolved solids come in, stay there, and as the water evaporates, the lake increases in solidity. It turns out that Salt Lake is really just a leftover remnant of a much larger lake called Lake Bonneville. When the great flood of Noah's day drained off the continents and places water ponded and became inland lakes. Most of these lakes have since drained either through evaporation or through catastrophic failure of the natural dams which were holding them in. Lake Bonneville evidently drained northward through the Snake River Canyon within the last few thousand years. Chris, all the evidence fits that back to Genesis truth of Earth history. To learn more about creation, get our free DVD called That's a Fact. Call us at 800-628-7640 and mention the promo code FACT. Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver here on American Family Radio. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver. I am continuing on with my conversation with my longtime friend, Lynn Vanderwood Ahu, and she and her family have been very close to mine for many years. She and her husband, Ali, are missionaries in Tonga, and they also, Lynn really blessed me with something um, she reached out to me some years ago and told me that she was using some of my books and the materials from my program and so forth as a way of connecting to the people in her community that she's serving. There are a lot of three-generational homes. Um, 
and and where you you take care of your elderly there, and it's a much different kind of culture than than a lot of things that are happening here in America. And caregiving is a big issue. I was with Lynn and her family all the way through the death of her father and her mother. Gracie and I uh, played at both her parents' funerals. Her dad and I were very very close friends, and it, it, and it was just um, this family is a very special family to me. And I think it's important that we recognize that the kingdom of God is is working all around us. And sometimes I think we get a little bit kind of focused on our our little world and realize there's a big world with a lot of stuff happening out there. And so it's important to have that connection. And it's important for Lynn to be connected to you all because she's way out in the hinterlands doing work that is extraordinary. And I know she gets lonely. She probably misses, like I do, we both miss Chick-fil-A because I don't have a Chick-fil-A in Montana and I don't think you have one in Tonga. And no. uh, I know you ain't got a Waffle House out there. No, and, uh, no fast foods at all. But it's it's a real treat to be able to talk with you. Tell us a little bit about the caregiving structure and and the things that you're doing there in Tonga. Tell me um, some of the things that you're finding that maybe surprised you um, in your journey. Thank you, Peter. Thank you so much. And I want to echo your sentiments as well. You've been a such a great friend for us as well as we've walked through the caregiving situations of both of my parents from afar and we had the wonderful opportunity to get to come and be with them toward the end of their lives Uh, as you know I'm a physician associate I'm a Duke graduate go Blue Devils from 1984 and I came here to Tonga to begin healthcare training uh, under the guys under the umbrella of youth with the mission and now I've branched out to doing healthcare training also as part of the government ministry of health and then doing healthcare services in our little community, uh, our YWAM community, and then in the near, nearby villages. And as I've done that uh, and began to read more of your work on caregiving, I realized, wow, these people I was making house calls to really needed the keys that you were giving them. So as you said, there's many three-generation households, and now also there is a group of caregivers being being formed um, by our Ministry of Internal Affairs um, that are caring for people outside their own home and they needed skills training. But what was surprising, you asked me to say something that was surprising, as I began to visit these homes and see caregiving situations, I was astounded at how compassionate Tongans are. Um, I don't really have to teach them much about having a heart for the person that they are uh, caring for. They really need permission to take care of themselves because they're natural burnouts, to be perfectly honest. So we go into situations where there's one set of clean sheets in the house and nobody's quite sure what sort of food older people need when they don't have any teeth. and With the advent of purchasable uh, goods in the stores, people think, oh, maybe those things are better. So there's a lot of confusion about what to feed elderly people, um, especially if if chewing is an issue. How do you mash foods up for people? And and that has been a, a blessing for me to be able to take my healthcare training and then add to it just practical training in how to feed your elderly person. And then sit down with the caregiver and give them a chance to unload. I, people have so surprised 
that I'm there for to check. And so that has, has branched into me doing regular visits to caregivers in my village. What is the response to the fact that you're a Christian, you're there to share the gospel, and all that you bring ministerial-wise, do you find an acceptance? Do you find uh, uh, that you're – how does how, how are you finding that that engages with folks? Do yeah. they, are they, are they uh, open to listening to you? They are, actually. Um, they are. Um the, the first king, now we're on our sixth king, the first king of Tonga who unified the warring factions between tribes, um, dedicated his country to God and declared, we will all be Christians. So because Tonga is a group culture, people rarely do anything individually. So they made a group declaration that it's a Christian nation. However, as you know, when you do that, individuals are still individuals. So some people are more committed to God, um, trust God more than others. But I have found that when I come as a healthcare provider, they're willing to receive me. And then as I listen, I listen to the Holy Spirit for where I need to bring in a biblical perspective. And I'm astounded at how open people really are. It's actually been some of the foreigners that I have two foreigner families that are being taken care of. They're not quite as open. They're a bit cynical about who God is because of the situation they're in. And that's understandable. Um, but by and large in Tonga, surprisingly, people are very open to a biblical worldview. As long as you, you don't come as the pastor, you come as the friend. And didn't Jesus do that? Hey, that's exactly right. What are the Tonga people like in general? Are they, they're, they're, uh, are they quiet people? Are they, uh, uh what, what are some of the characteristics of the Tongan people? Well, first of all, they're very big. In fact, the fourth king of Tonga, according to the Guinness Book of World Records, has the heaviest skull in the world. Now, how they figured that out, I don't know. But he's got this great big square head. So they're very large people. And they live large. They are not quiet people. So here I am, an introvert. God is so funny. He puts me, an introvert, who charges up by being alone, in this group group setting where people are extroverted and they love being with groups of people. So you can imagine a home caregiver who is at home with, with grandma is kind of miserable because they love being in groups. So usually it's not just one lady, there's four or five in the house just to help her feel happy. So I have a little joke I tell, but it's actually a true story. When you see a group of men out in the field, you might see 10 of them. It's called a kautaha. They're, they're hoeing the crops. You'll probably see five of them with hoes in their hand, uh, actually hoeing. And you'll see the other five taking turns, telling jokes and making everybody laugh. And that's how we <laughs> do work in Tonga. There's always an entertainer. They would love you. You know, a stand-up comedian would just make them so happy. So they love being in groups. Love being in groups love sleeping in groups, love eating in groups, and they're also extremely generous. Whenever I go visit somebody, I never come home empty-handed. So I have learned, I go, I never go empty-handed. Right now we happen to have some laying hens and we have some root crops that are starting to grow. So I always go with something and then in exchange, I'm always given something usually far greater than what I brought. 
you know, they're I very know, generous. I know a lot of churches I go to where they want to lay hands on you, but you're laying hens. Uh, oh, that's just, that's a that's too easy, Lynn. Yeah, that's, that's, well, I was waiting for one of those, Peter. Well, I I am um, I'm fascinated by this. I'm fascinated by your work. What has surprised you about yourself as someone on the mission field now? I mean, you know, because Tonga is a long ways from where you grew up, <laughs> and you're in a much different culture. Um, and you you are um immersed in this culture now what has surprised you about yourself <laughs> well first of all having said having uh, discussed the differences between introversion and extroversion i'm surprised i've lasted 21 years here um but god gave me a a quiet tongan as a husband although he still loves groups he's quiet and i think that was his way to make sure i stayed another thing that surprised me was um Gosh, I'm going to tell on myself now. You know, I think before I went into missions, I never had any ideas that I was perfect. It wasn't that. But somehow I imagined that God with me meant uh, things be easy. But God with me means in the hard. He is the rock to cling to. And he's so faithful. So I've been surprised that. For example, in the eight months that I had personal caregiving, uh, six hours a day rotating with my husband for his parents, uh, we had eight months of caregiving from middle of last year to March. His parents really needed 24-hour uh, care. I was a bit surprised that I was not very patient sometimes, yet God was patient with me. And if I went outside and looked at his creation, took a few deep breaths, and just called out to him like the Psalms say, he was there. So I was surprised that uh, God would keep using somebody who's not perfect. <laughs> the other thing that surprised me was I could, um, I could really be happy sitting on the ground, eating with my hands, that I could learn the language. It's just been God's grace that I have conversational English. I, I can present in English, I teach in English, but I have to, I, I'm sorry, I, present and teach in Tongan, but I have to prepare that. But I can conversationally speak in Tongan with people sitting on the grass, eating whatever we have. And that surprised me because uh, I was born in a Dutch family and we're very tidy and very clean and very proper. So I was surprised about that. What surprised you? Well, I'll tell you what, I want to save this for the last segment because I, I want people to hear your heart on this. And I think that I just love listening to you. I love listening to your stories. And we're going to talk some more about this when we come back from the break. We're talking with Lynn Vanderwood Aho. She is in the kingdom of Tonga. And she is, uh, she's been there for many years. She and her husband, Ali, and their son, Fungani, which I, by the way, I pronounced that correctly, didn't I? Good job. And, uh, this is Peter Rosenberg, and this is Hope for the Caregiver. We'll be right back. Picture a stormy sea. The waves are rolling viciously and the sky is darker than night. The crack of thunder can be heard over the roaring wind. A tiny ship is thrown wildly up and down as it rides the waves. The crew is just about to lose hope when someone spots a sudden flash in the distance. A lighthouse. Lighthouse for the Lost, an article by Parker May. 
to read this article, visit EngageMagazine.net. Hey, this is Peter Rosenberger. Have you ever helped somebody walk for the first time? I've had that privilege many times through our organization, Standing with Hope. When my wife, Gracie, gave up both of her legs following this horrible wreck that she had as a teenager, and she tried to save them for years, and it just wouldn't work out, and finally she relinquished them and thought, wow, this is it. I mean, I don't have any legs anymore. What can God do with that? And then she had this vision for using prosthetic limbs as a means of sharing the gospel, to put legs on her fellow amputees. And that's what we've been doing now since 2005 with Standing With Hope. We work in the West African country of Ghana, and you can be a part of that through supplies, through supporting team members, through supporting the work that we're doing over there. You could designate a limb. There's all kinds of ways that you could be a part of giving the gift that keeps on walking at standingwithhope.com. Would you take a moment to go out to standingwithhope.com and see how you can give they go walking and leaping and praising God. You can be a part of that at standingwithhope.com. Steve Russo with Real Answers. A legislator who filed a lawsuit against God received something he didn't expect, a response. A court filing from God literally came supernaturally, according to John Friend, a court clerk in Omaha, Nebraska. It miraculously appeared on the counter. All of a sudden, it was here. Poof, Friend said. State Senator Ernie Chambers sued God, seeking a permanent injunction against the Almighty for making threats, inspiring fear, and causing widespread death, destruction, and terrorization of millions of the Earth's inhabitants. Chambers, a self-proclaimed agnostic, said his filing was triggered by a federal lawsuit he considers frivolous. He's trying to make the point that anybody can sue anybody. Not so, says God. His response argues that the defendant himself is a immune from earthly laws, and the court lacks jurisdiction. For information on books and other resources by Steve Russo, visit the Real Answers website, realanswers.com. Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver. We're so glad that you are with us. We're joined from the Kingdom of Tonga. Go out to the map. Do a Google search on the Kingdom of Tonga and see just how far away it is. And it is an amazing country that is mostly water and uh, and a lot of islands. It's just been recently in the news. Our Deputy Secretary of State was just visiting there uh, for an important visit, and they have also been in the news because of volcanic and tsunami activity, and it's a wonderful nation and community of people, and my friend Lynn has been there for many years as a missionary, and she is joining us to talk about things, and we said in the last block, you know, some things that surprised her about the Tongan people and about herself, and now, Lynn, I would like to pivot a bit and ask you, what surprised you about God through this process? I mean, you were a woman of strong faith long before you showed up at Tonga, but things have changed. Things have changed. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting you ask that question now because as we speak, my husband Ali is teaching or speaking or training in our discipleship training school. We delayed it because of the volcano tsunami COVID. And so just today, we began a new crop of discipleship training school. And we have all young men in our group. And his topic this week is the nature and character of God. And yesterday, as we were looking over our notes, we both kind of chuckled because although what we'd written was good and was true, now so many years later, there's so much more. I've been really surprised that God is not limited to 
the way I choose to worship him, that he receives worship in so many different ways. I think I already knew that, but I have experienced sitting in the Tongan Methodist Church, singing hymns in the Tongan language. The presence of God was so sweet in that fellowship there. Also, we've attended, I have attended some celebrations where they do Tongan traditional dancing. And some people would say, oh, that's just entertainment. And I probably would have said that as well. But as I watched these young men do the Kailao, which is a war dance, I could sense the Lord saying, see, these are my warriors. Teach them to know me and they can war in the spirit like this. Because, see, we're a unique nation. It's the first nation over the international dateline. Firsts are important to God. Missionaries went out from Tonga throughout the South Pacific. And as that, that group died down, then the next generation is growing up without God and they need to know. And so I sense God saying that during a kailao, an entertainment performance. I've also been surprised by how patient God is with me. You know, I look back to 20 years ago when I first started in Tonga and I had a good idea about how things should be done, <laughs> especially health and safety wise. And God's been very tolerant of me and very gracious in showing me that sometimes, although my intent wasn't that way, my presentation magnified some hurts that some of my Tongan brothers and sisters received from white skinned teachers who came from another country and shook their finger at them or spoke sharply at them or their face had some some uh, anger apparent in it. And when I did that, even though my heart was in the right place, it just magnified that. So God so patiently and lovingly convicted me of those things and gave me grace to apologize for my brothers and sisters and help them walk in freedom from those educational hurts. So God's patience with me has really surprised me. And also how God's not as tied to timetables as I am. Like I came with some great expectations for healthcare training and we had three incredible healthcare schools that went, of course, there were lots of surprises, but they went according to plan really. And then events in Tonga happened. For example, our king died and we mourn for six months which means you don't have loud noises, you cancel a lot of school extracurricular activities. And we, the decision was made here to cancel my training school. And I saw how I was really fretting about that, but Lord, I came here and people are expecting to support me to do this. And uh, I think during those six months of grieving the King, I went ahead and let the Lord have my expectations, grieved my expectations, and came on the other side of that, born to with his heart and his timetable and his ways. Well, the scripture that comes to mind is we mourn with those who mourn. <laughs> we grieve with those who grieve. And one of the things I tell myself and fellow caregivers, is don't just do something, stand there. And <laughs> Hey, I love it. That's great. That's so, great. Tonys are really good at funerals. We just had one in our village that lasted um, 10 days because everybody comes and camps in your front yard and you feed them and they just be with one another. Um, they bury the body and then they spend some time just being with each other. And as, cause it's all a group thing, 
um, that's how they process through. It's a beautiful thing. I didn't used to think so, but now having walked through it with my sister-in-law, um, it's beautiful. What is a hymn? I've been talking about hymns a lot lately on the program. What is a hymn that you love hearing the Tongan people sing, that you specifically love hearing them sing? And what is a hymn that comes to your mind? An English one or a Tongan one? An English one that you like hearing the Tongan people sing. Joy to the world. That's on my oh. list of 25 hymns that every Christian ought to know. Is wow. Joy- my apologies to all of the, the churches that I've been part of in the United States, but there is nothing like the deep, resonant, full-chested sound of a Tongan choir singing Joy to the World. It's wonderful. I love that. I love and and I, and I love that. That line in there in one of the stances, far as the curse is found, far as, and yes. I, I think that you have traveled literally around the world and yeah. you know that the curse is found globally, but as far as the curse is found, his redemption is coming. And this is what joy to the world. It's not just a Christmas hymn, is it? These hymns that we talk about here on this program, I think it's very important for us to not forget these great text and so forth that go out that apply. And I I moved that they love to sing that hymn. How much different is Tongan music, their own natural music, than what you grew up with here in Western music? Their their natural music, before missionaries came and introduced them to hymns that were then translated, their natural music is extremely harmonic. Most of the time, there are five parts to their harmony. And the women have an intentional, high, screeching sort of quality to their voice. Um, Screeching makes it sound unpleasant, but it's really not. And they know exactly what they're doing. So when they sing a cappella, a cappella obviously is their natural way. And it is just riveting because you, you can... Feel the harmonies. And when I listen to Tongans sing traditional Tongan songs, and they're long, they go on for a long time, and it's a whole group of people, I think of how God's called us to be his church, and we each have a different part. And when they work together and do their own part, instead of saying, I want to do his part, and I want to do his part, when they all work together and sing their parts together, the harmony shows me what what God's intention is for the body of Christ. You know, we can't all be doing the same thing. We're not supposed to. And if we do our part well and do it in harmony with others, wow, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the water covers the sea through us. How is his kingdom going to come to earth? His will be done on earth as it is in heaven by us and the harmonies these rich native harmonies remind me of that i think that that says everything right there and that is beautiful because i can picture that i've I've, when i've traveled over to west africa and listened to the great harmonies that they sing and it's just so beautiful and uh, i think sometimes we've gotten away from that in our western cultures that we have so much going on accompaniment wise that we don't let the voices just rise through. And, and I, I love that. And so thank you for sharing that. This has been a wonderful conversation, Lynn, Lynn 
Vanderwood uh, Aho, she's in Tonga. If you want to get in touch with Lynn, there, there are challenges right now in getting in touch with her. But you can go to my website, hopeforthecaregiver.com. There's a little form there. And if you want to fill it out and if you want to send a particular scripture verse, uh, a note of encouragement, if you want to help donate, uh, contact me and I'll show you how that can be done for them to help support what they do if the Lord puts this on your heart. And I would encourage you to do so at hopeforthecaregiver.com. Lynn, you are a treat. Uh, Would you hug Ali and Fungani for me? And let's do this again. And I'd like to... The, the, we'll schedule. I, I kind of surprised you with this one today, but I'd like to do this um, with some of the folks there in your community, and I think it'd be a real treat to have them on. I can gather some of our caregivers and some of the people in our community. Right now, there's a COVID outbreak in my village, so I can't really go out and pull any of them over here, but some of our other YWAM people, too, and even one of our current DTS students, it, we would love it. We'll organize that. We, Thank you so much, Peter, for giving us the chance to be heard so far away. It is a treat. And Lynn, your daddy would be very proud. Bless you, Peter, and love to Gracie as well. I know you guys are walk, walking, literally walking, trying to walk through some challenges as well. So um, our community will be praying for you. Continue to and, pray for you. And, and we, we for you as well. So thank you, Lynn. And Gracie sends her love as well. All well, right. Lynn Vanderwood Aho, and she is in the kingdom of Tonga. She and her husband, Ali, and their son, Fungani. And would you please keep them in your prayers? And again, if you want to send a note of encouragement to them, a scripture verse or whatever's on your heart, go to my website, hopeforthecaregiver.com. That little form there, click on it and send it to me. I'll get it to them and be a source of encouragement. We as caregivers understand how difficult isolation is. Imagine missionaries on the other side of the world. So do keep them in your prayers. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is Hope for the Caregiver, hopeforthecaregiver.com. We'll see you next time. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.